This episode of The Giving Leader is going to be one of my favorites. My name's Phil Ling. I'm the host of The Giving Leader and also the founder of The Giving Church Consulting Group, which sponsors the podcast. Dave Miller has been in ministry for many years, started off as a church guy, spent time with Gene Apple at Central Church in Las Vegas when they were growing so rapidly, moved over and worked in the college world and is in a unique spot now with a ministry he leads called Leadership Pathway. I think you'll be interested in not only the millennial piece with that particular age group and wanting to go into ministry and preparation, but I think you'll find Dave entertaining too. He's just a great guy. One of my favorite people, one of my favorite interviews, Dave Miller on The Giving Leader. It is great to be back on another episode of The Giving Leader. I'm Phil Ling, your host. Um, I'm excited every time we get to do this, every time I get to have a conversation with a leader across the country. Maybe it's somebody I've worked with in the past or somebody I've been friends with for a long time, and hopefully a lot of those go together to be both. This guest, Dave Miller, is one of my favorite people in the world. He makes me laugh constantly. He is James Brown of ministry, the hardest working man of showbiz. I mean, he is everywhere all the time. Um, and he's been involved in a lot of different things, which I think will bring a, bring a unique perspective. He has done the church thing. So he's been on the staff of like Central Christian Church in Las Vegas and those, those places. He has been in the Christian college world, worked with Nebraska Christian College as they were merging with Hope International University out of California and that whole thing. Worked with lots of parachurch groups, working with churches around the United States. Uh, Dave, I like to say, is one of the most connected people that I know that just knows. It's like the Kevin Bacon of ministry, six degrees of separation, is Dave Miller. But Dave's got a thing I want to talk about. I think it's great. It's on the heels of our conversation last week with Grant Skeldon, where we talked about millennials and his book, The Passion Generation, uh, which, thank you for listening. That one is going like crazy with people listening to that episode. But Dave has a ministry that's called Leadership Pathway, and he, uh, he calls home the Denver area, but Leadership Pathway is working with churches across the United States. Before I have you tell us what it is, I want you to tell me the, the problem that you aim to help. Because I think most ministries and most businesses are, are, they come from a place where somebody notices a problem or notices something that they can't figure out and says, there's somebody ought to do this, which I saw in one of your emails recently, somebody ought to do this. And so before you tell me about Leadership Pathway, tell me about what you were seeing as you're working with churches all across the country in ministry organizations that led you to think there's, somebody's got to do something. Yeah, it really started. Thanks for that illustrious introduction, by the way. <laughs> so in other words, you're, you're listening to a guy that can't keep a job is what it sounds like. <laughs> but you're always good at getting one. <laughs> exactly. That'll be for a different episode. Uh, you know, it really started out in, in Vegas when I was in ministry trying to find um, ready people, talented and ready people, called people who wanted to, to do ministry. And what I, what I, we probably summed up in the 90s as a Vegas problem. I remember talking with the pastor there once, and we were talking about the B market of Las Vegas. Like, a, you know, they, they get off the plane, they fly in from Springfield, Illinois to interview, 
And you can see it in their eyes when they see the airport and the slot machines and, and they want to get on the plane and go back home. Uh, we would have summed it up as a Vegas problem. But then a decade later, yeah, flying all over the country pretty, in, pretty intensely for more than a decade. And no matter why I was there, it seemed like there was a, a people issue. And could you help us find um, you know, a kid's pastor? We would, launch the, we would launch that campus if we could find an executive or a campus guy, or can you help us find a worship leader? And it just, uh, what's it called? The holy discontent, I guess. Just, I'm like, why, how is it in all of the innovation of, uh, of education, all of the leadership development talk that's been going on, gosh, for 30 years in the church, and yet it seems like it's getting worse. And uh, I can tell it's getting worse because friends of mine that are, um, you know, they do staffing for churches, it's a growth industry. It's set in records. There are new companies beginning. And the gap between what the average church is looking for and what is in the market in terms of who's, who's called and gifted and all of those spiritual things, but then who's available and willing and ready and wants to go lead something in that town, that gap is getting wider. And so I don't know... <laughs> Uh, I, you know, we've got brilliant PhD, super smart people in higher ed, and we've got amazing people in, in churches, and, and uh, they're going to fix it on the mass scale. I don't know how to do that, uh, but one at a time is kind of what Leadership Pathway is doing. So trying to find uh, students and candidates, they, you know, everyone from college dropouts, seminary graduates, second career people now, we have a few of those going matching them with what we would call a teaching church, which is a church that kind of views themselves as a place to come learn how to do ministry and then coach them over the course of the following two years to help them get ready. So it's, a, it's the long game of leadership development. I don't, I don't know how to help uh, in the next six months, but man, I, I have conversations every day with pastors who uh, they start down this path, and by year two, three, four, they start with one resident, add two or three, add three or four more. And uh, I know guys now, four or five years into this, who I think anyone could walk into their office and resign, and they've got a, their bench is much deeper than it was four years ago. And uh, so that's what we're doing. It's, um, uh, yeah, all over the country, as you say, from coast to coast, and talking to people in Canada, was on a Skype last week with a guy in South Africa. That was fun. Um, and it's a hot, it's a but hot topic. I can tell. What, okay. So there's that, several different roads I want to go down. Uh, mm -hmm. One, just to be clear, clear, as somebody's listening, we're talking with Dave Miller and Leadership Pathway. This is not a placement agency because there are folks out there that say, you know, Phil Lang's looking for a ministry job and this is what Phil Lang can do. And and, and trying to line me up in the church is looking for somebody like a filling. So it, it got those. This is more of a, yeah, we're not producing. Uh, we don't have all these seminary grads running out that are getting jobs at churches readily equipped for what the church is looking for, or even for the seminary, seminary grad or the college grad, um, what they're even looking for. Uh, so, so leadership pathway comes along and, and tell me when I'm off track. So it's, it's almost like says, all right, let's find the candidates that really don't know how to find the door and get in the right door and get prepped and ready for real ministry, even though they've been to school and so forth. 
and let's find the churches that you're going to open the door, but you also need some help on the coaching side on how do we deal with these, these residents and you call them residents, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, cause I, so, cause I know some churches and you do too. We know some churches that have their own like internship programs and, and stuff like that. Uh, CCV out in, in, in Phoenix, you know, has been doing that when Don retired, that was kind of something he was, it was uh, excited to look at. Uh, we got a friend up in Akron, Ohio with Grace mm -hmm. Churches. Uh, Jeff yep. is in his, yeah. he's got their own little in-house version. Mm -hmm. Yours uh, on the first talk to me just for a minute on the church side, how you help the churches get the most out of this whole experience and residents and stuff. Well, it does start at the beginning with recruiting. And um, uh, so they, they, in essence, are outsourcing the interviewing, the vetting. Uh, for example, the last 12 months, I was just looking this morning, we've had five or 600 now who've inquired. We've uh, interviewed, uh, worked the full process with 150. And that interview process is putting them through strength finders and disc assessments and coaching and uh, talking to their uh, references, having their references grade them on a short list of competencies, and then presenting that to the church. Candidates do come from within the church, though, uh, and, and especially in multi-site and larger churches, when they start talking about this, uh, you know, people kind of come out of the woodwork, which is, which is great. We do have a fair amount, you know, the Virginia person that's moving to Texas and the Texas person that's moving to Virginia. And it's just a matching of a, of a fit between those two, between those two churches. So we help them, we help them find, and we help the candidates find the church and we help the churches find the candidates. And then once they're on site, our relationship then really is with that church staff leader that has that person working with them. And the goal then is to say, okay, we have two years, the clock is ticking. What do we have to do to ensure that this person is hireable and highly desired is what we would say. And uh, our coaching then is to the church leader. Um, there are seasons when it's quite intense. Uh, if there's a pattern, uh, most most begin pretty great. The first 90 days, they're soaring. Uh, the church is in love. They're loving um, what they're doing. And there are moments when they're ready to quit at some point. There are moments when uh, the church is ready to kill them for some reason <laughs> or fire them, <laughs> hopefully just fire them. Uh, and so we get, we get involved pretty intensely in those, in those times. We, we get on site to kick off the second year. We coach a lot that the entire, that the entire purpose of the first year is to get to the second year. And the second year is where I think the church begins to trust more. Um, they let the leash out a little bit. The candidate now has got their DNA. They know what's expected of them. They've come up to speed. And, uh, and then the development path in the second year is usually is, is dramatic and up and to the right. I don't, I don't want to say every time, uh, since I am from Kentucky, we tend to exaggerate everything. But I would say every time um, they're hired if they make it into the second year. And if they're not hired at that location, uh, then they've got an incredible reference and they, and they don't have a lot of struggle of finding a place to go do ministry. Most of the time, uh, these students, and I keep saying students, but a lot of them aren't, you know, they're, they've been out of school or, um, 
or there's, you know, some are still in school, but I, you know, candidates, these candidates many times are struggling on the front end to know where to go, how to get there. And uh, we are just literally just providing the path. I, I think the name, uh, it, we were lucky. I, I think I needed something to call it when we were filing the paperwork three years ago and lucked out that we called it just, but it, we just come back to it over and over again. I think every, every future leader, they're looking for a pathway to get there and they need a trusted guide to take them. And, um, you know, I've, I've, I've just seen over and over students that are great. They're, they did everything expected of them through the education system. They had a great GPA. Um, they did the internships. They're just not ready. And we can pick them up at that point, put them in an environment and, and get a better return on investment. I think of, of their future in ministry. So um, there's four or five dozen churches now we're working with and, and more coming online every day. So, so one thing I don't want to skip over is yeah. uh, it's a two year process. Yeah. So typically a two year process, but there's no guarantee. So if somebody starts mm-hmm. and it's, you know, it goes sideways, like you yeah. said, they're trying to get to year two. That's a, that, you're trying to yeah. maturate through that process. Uh, harder to find potential people, the, the potential clients, harder to find them or harder to find teaching churches? Yes. <laughs> I'd say none of it's easy. I would say um, a great quote from a doctor once. He said, you know, there are great hospitals and there are great teaching hospitals. Just don't confuse the two. Ooh. And uh, yeah, I thought that was awesome. It does take a commitment at or near the top to make this happen. Here's what happens is it's never really the money. Okay. It's, it's a minimal investment. And we talk a lot how this has to be for the resident. We want more for them than from them. But the reality is it's a pretty inexpensive transaction of what you're paying versus what you're getting. And um, eventually it's the time An executive pastor at the church of 1200. And this was a story last week. You know, his middle school pastor is already overwhelmed, right? And now we hand them a resident. Where's the middle school pastor? He's at the coffee shop with the resident again, you know. It is the time of the intensive coaching that it takes. And you have to, these churches are amazing that we work with and and super open-handed about the goal going in. And if they can stay locked in, that it's about helping this person be ready to be hired, whether it's here or somewhere else, then, then it's a great relationship. We try not to go into it with a church that says, well, we can't afford a middle school pastor. Let's get an intern. That's not what we do. That is not what we do. And, uh, and I've tried doing it, you know, and it doesn't work. And uh, so it is about placing, placing someone who wants to learn, who wants to get there. You know, I, I liken it simply to riding, you know, you can ride, learning to ride a bike, for example, you can watch the Tour de France, you can go to the Tour de France, you can read about the history of the bike, you can study the wheel, you can wear Lance Armstrong's jersey, you can cheer, you can do it, but until you get on and somebody is riding along, you know, running along with you, until you crash a couple of times, hopefully safely, hopefully you don't tear up too much, you know, until you fail and you can move forward. 
you know, you're not going to learn to ride a bike. I would say when I start talking about it at that level, it kind of frames up what we're, what we're after. There are, um, when you're dealing with 20 to 25 year olds, there are amazing looking, talented, everyone's talented in general. It's a YouTube generation. We can play guitar, we can paint, we can, <laughs> everybody's a photographer, everybody's a brand marketer uh, of themselves, right? Right. Um, everybody's talented, and, um, but not everybody's ready. And I, and I would say again that the gap, the anecdotal stories, I don't know that I have data on this, but it just feels like the gap's getting wider. Okay, so that's a, here's a segue. So you know, yeah. last week we talked with Grant Skeldon because his whole thing is, is the millennials and, if anything, a little bit of misunderstood, but his book, The Passion Generation, yeah. talking about that. Great conversation, great podcast guy, folks can go back and listen to in the archive. Uh, was you, are, you are working with those folks. So mm -hmm. who Grant's talking about is primarily who your clients are. Mm -hmm. And do you uh, – are, do you look at them sometimes like the old man get off my yard kind of guy? Or do you say, you know, is it that big of a disconnect? Is there that big a difference with what we call millennials today? Not everybody's AOC that doesn't know Woodstock happened. <laughs> I don't I mean, yeah. Well, here's, here's what's different is that we just know too much. Uh, I mean, there were uh, 14 of us <clears throat> on staff at Central. I was 25. The senior pastor was super old. He was 35 years old and I was, there wasn't, an, there was one guy that did the hospitals, lovely older gentleman. He was probably 50, right? Right. And we won't talk about how old you and I are. Right? Exactly. That guy was old. He was, the rest of us were in our twenties. And are you, are, are we, are we supposing when we think back on those days with the dinosaurs roaming the earth that we never screwed up something royally? Of course we were idiots leading at a church of thousands in a relocation in a really, really difficult city, dealing with things we should have been sued over and over probably for malpractice. I mean, who knows? I'm, I'm so glad there's not tape of it. I'm so right. glad it's not recorded. Run it forward. I deal all the time now. The senior pastors are my age and older. I mean, great, great guys doing mm. great work. They're dressing younger. They're awesome. They dress younger than me They look great on platform. <laughs> But they're hiring the 23-year-old who's sitting there looking at a 50-year-old, 60-year-old, and there's this, there is this huge gap. I don't know. I would say when I was uh, the 20, when I was a 25-year-old, who was 50? My dad, the dean of my college, probably. Right. Those were, and so, so the gap is maybe my generation has held on to the chair too long. We're highly suspect because we know too much is my sense. I, I do think all of the social ills where we read about and we know and we, you know, you're following the same people on social media I'm following. You see it every day, the articles and the, the statistics and the things that are going on. It's all very real. I don't doubt any of it. But, I mean, we've been talking about millennials for, what, 10 or 15 years? <laughs> yeah, now, there, now there's another about group behind time, Exactly. The Gen Z. And that's really, you know, the 20 to 22 year olds, right. ripest candidates we have. I will tell you, um, we've had some failures. We've had, we had one failure in the first 90 days and we were glad. Hmm. 
the guy's like, well, at least we didn't invest a year here. You know, we right. moved on quickly. <laughs> uh, but by and large, by and large, the average person that I'm around, that's 20 to 25, these people are amazing. They have tools like I wanted to do something for God when I was that age, right? But I didn't hop on a plane, fly around the world, come back, start a nonprofit, have it online by Thursday, knitting socks <laughs> and spending money to dig wells in Africa. Think about right. this, what, that gener what this generation is going to do is going to make building the Model T or going to the moon, it's going to make it look ridiculous. The things okay, they're going to achieve. Okay, good so Put yourself in, this, in the seat of the guys and gals at the church that yep, are responsible the for, well, I know, no, I know. Yeah. So, so, so they're responsible for, you know, doing the mentoring and, and, and the guidance, the hands-on guidance for these, these young, zealous residents. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to be too stereotypical, but are yeah. there characteristics of that generation where like, okay, they're really into community. You know, they, their friends mean lots to them. I, I'm just trying to come up with crazy stuff, but is there, sure. are there generalizations that when you're sitting down talking to the folks that are going to do the mentoring, you're saying, okay, keep this in mind with this group that you're working with. Yeah, we do. And, and, okay. and most, most that we're dealing with have already read those books, like Grant's book and, <laughs> yeah, other ones. Right. and they're, and they're well, they're well versed in it. Right. And, and there are experts out there. The, the number one thing I hear where I'm embedded by, at month six, I feel like I'm parenting this individual. Mm. And I'm like, yeah. So what's the number one stereotypical issue of the ones that I'm around is that the people my age didn't parent them a whole lot. Mm. They didn't have Larry and Carol, <laughs> Bruce and Con. <laughs> you know, in fact, I was talking to someone you're related to whose intern quit. Oh. And he, and he was telling me that, I'm like, why did he quit? Well, I was yelling at him and I'm like, well, you can't, you can't yell at him, Curtis. And he goes, well, you, you yelled at me when I was your intern. I'm like, yeah, but I knew Bruce and Connie, you know, you spent time on the farm together. It's a different age, like coaching today, even the professional, like baseball managers. I'm a, more of a baseball guy than anything, but I've read uh, quotes by coaches in the NFL, the NBA, and especially college of how they coach today, radically different than the Bobby Knight era of the 70s and 80s, where you could just do whatever you wanted. You can't do it anymore. But they're more talented. That's what I would say. There's more potential there uh, that needs to get unleashed inside the church. We've, we've got to get them to the table. And, um, you know, aging churches with aging executive teams where no one in the room is under 38 and they're talking about reaching millennials. I'm like, you know, you should hire one. <laughs> and I don't, and I honestly, I don't mean, I don't mean it snarky. I don't mean it cynically, but you know, I've got, I've raised a couple, I've got a 26 and a 25 year old kid. Right. And, uh, and they're pretty awesome. Both of them overachiever little workaholics that we raised they're out doing their thing but man you, it's hard to talk about reaching millennials if nobody's making decisions at the table and i tell churches all the time they're like what'd you think of our service i'm like i loved it that's a problem, that's a problem. <laughs> i loved it and you know my mom almost would have liked it and these are amazing churches that are still right. advancing. I mean, these are churches where people are coming to Jesus. They are discipling. Their youth groups are significant. 
they're taking trips around the world. They're, they're engaged with the poor and the marginalized. I mean, these are not, these are not necessarily the struggling churches that we read about. Right. I'm embedded in some amazing places, but they're trying to turn the knobs on them. They're, they're, they're scratching their head, just like Grant was talking about, of how to do this. But you get into the, you get around the table in the decision room, and it's people my age and older. Right. And that right. seems problematic. So the gap there, the coming, uh, the coming transitions of all of the pulpits and all of the pastors that are going to, and where, where are the next leaders? I mean, one of our cliches, you know, who's the next you? And it's a convicting question because I don't know, when I was in my 20s, the, one, the, the people that had enough initiative just to follow, follow me around in ministry, the interns, uh, the, ones that, the ones that truly got it, they're still in ministry today, and I feel great about that. Did I ever, did I ever take the initiative to sit and think about that? Like, what is my... What is my ultimate contribution here? I mean, generous leaders, right? What's the number one uh, biggest resource that they have that they don't want to let go of? It's their time more than anything. So one of the marks of being a generous leader, a generous church, would be spending the time uh, to create the next person in the pipe. So uh, I think... To, to your point and to Grant's point, the, every book that I've read and every cliche that becomes a cliche, probably because there's levels of truth in it. And um, we deal, I mean, we vet, we vet pretty hard. I mean, one out of 10 probably make it through. But even those that make it through, the cream of the crop, right? Uh, they're Christians. They love Jesus. They want to do this with their life. They've proved it. They've taken the tests and all that. They're still Americans. It's still 2019. They're still looking at their phones. They're highly distracted. All of the things that we talk about. And how do we go from being willing to being hireable? So it's a lot of talking. Conversations. I mean, time probably is the number one ingredient. We just, we've stopped doing anything shorter than a commitment to two years. Hmm. There's, there's just so many other paths to do that. Right. The summer internship for your college or the spend a semester in Thailand. I just know I get resumes all the time. They have an MDiv. They did a they did summer at First Church in the semester in Africa, and they think they're ready to go lead right. a ministry. And then I'm telling them, well, you're two years away, which is super disappointing if you're 70 grand into your education. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so here's, here's a good segue. So yeah. I'm talking with Dave Miller. Dave is the, the founder and leader, along with his uh, lovely wife. Yeah, I make she sure actually there's, does work. Yeah, there's two founders there. She uh, should Chris be on this podcast. With, yes, she should. She should. Yeah. Next time, next time. Yeah. But it's called Leadership Pathway, and it's, it's filling that void. Because I'm like Dave. You know, I'm in churches all over America, and they're always looking for it's, – it's hard to find the quality people to put into the positions. And so, but you have to back up from that. It's not just how do I weed through all the applicants? How do I find somebody to fill this position? But why don't I have more uh, qualified, ready folks to do that, which backs us all the way up into training. So uh, without necessarily, you know, we're not throwing rocks at colleges, but most of the small Christian colleges that I know around the country struggle 
They're all struggling for their lives with rare exceptions. And when you actually look at who they're producing, not nearly as are involved in the ministry track as there are, nobody can see on a podcast, my, my air quotes. <laughs> and, yeah, I and the minute, thank you for the, that, Phil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My minute, the ministry track, you know, they're, they're in all the other good stuff that you can go to Christian college and learn. So yeah. uh, why is, where is the, the drop ball? Is it the drop ball in the Christian college, the seminary? Is it, are, yeah. we, are we giving them skills that are not the right skills? You know, where is that? Well, here's what I would say. Um, hop on LinkedIn or go research articles about business uh, graduates. Or actually just go to lunch at a Chipotle. Who behind the counter? There's a lot of MBAs serving up your burritos, you know? Wow. Uh, things that are things that are leadership intensive. Now, if you're going to be a welder, an X-ray technician, a nurse, um, things that where the piece of paper actually unlocks the door and you get in. Teachers, coaches, right. teachers and coaches. Um, I got a friend here in Denver. He had like four offers over the phone to go be a music teacher in the elementary school. Do wow. I want to go to Cheyenne, Wyoming? Do I want to go down? You know, it's just amazing. <laughs> right. Right. Um, Get under the hood of any other uh, industry where it's about leadership. And, un and unless you're coming out of an elite school, I mean, elite, the elitist of schools, and a few dozen, a few hundred maybe. But if you're just graduating with a business degree from state university or Christian university, it doesn't matter. And, and you've not hustled, you've not done the extra things that the other students have done. Um, uh, you're, you're a couple of years away from doing something, hmm. which is why most are waiting tables at Applebee's wondering what's up. You know, they're driving Uber, pouring coffee, working three or four jobs. They're not, they did not walk into mental management of an office tower. They sent 60 or a hundred resumes out to do that. Right. So we have this gap. I, I, and I do think church reflects culture in this way. Like we always have a little bit. Uh, we have a cultural issue from the top to the bottom. <laughs> I don't want to get political on your podcast, but from the top to the bottom, we got a talent issue. And, um, and you know, the church reflects it. And so there's no more desperate individual, and, and you know them, than the pastor at the Church of 800 who's worship leader or youth guy just quit or resigned or is moving on or got called to go on the mission field. And there's no, one, there's no one standing there to take the job. They're six months to a year away of finding someone, with or without an expensive headhunter. They're going to spend the next six to 12 months with nobody in that role because it's tough out there. And, okay, um, but here, here's, here's my question, and, and this is just a philosophical. Yeah, I'm trying not to answer the why question. Now, well, but here, here's one of my pieces because I've, I've always said that if you go to, to law school, mm -hmm. they try in the first year to discourage you. If you go yeah. to med school, they try in the first year, look to your left, look to your right. One of you is not going right. to be there next yep. year. But in ministry, we don't. Yeah. Nobody ever on the front end does anything to say, you know, maybe this is not the track you need to be on. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering if for the last, say, three decades, we have turned out people with good hearts in, from Christian colleges that no one ever had a, a big boy conversation, big girl conversation right. with them early on, that maybe this is not the right track. 
is, do you think that's a piece of it at all? Well, of course. I mean, you can deal with this in the edit later, I guess, but I would just, (laughs) you know, these things, these things are led by amazing people. Right. They are. And, and I, I do not discredit any of them. I mean, they've spent their life committed to the word or committed to the languages or history or whatever. They know how to take complex things, boil it down, hand it off to the students. They give it back. They get a grade. That's the transaction. They know how to educate. And this is, you know, these things launched, uh, what, 50, 7,500 years ago because we needed more preachers in that denomination, in that region of the country. And you wake up a few decades later, and since we can't produce what we set out to produce, we'll do all sorts of things to keep the doors open. And we start moving the target, you know, the mission creep kind of thing. And yeah, I, I, um, it's struggling. Uh, again, listening to Seth Godin this morning, he says, you know, you got you to determine, are you in a strong industry or are you in an industry with headwind? Mm. And man, when Google and Amazon and these, you know, the Fortune 50 companies come out, start talking about how you no longer need a college education to work there. Um, it's, it's a tough day in that industry of Christian education. We need them in the game. We need them being innovative. But, you know, uh, you know, my, my per year, my college education is probably 10% of what my dad was earning, I bet, back in the day, it was $6,000. And that has quadrupled or tripled, you know, what that theme school charges now for a youth ministry degree. Right. And so are we just going to keep our brains turned off going into deeper debt? And then you're right. it's, It's a tough transaction when you start accepting fewer and fewer based on do you believe they can do this? They, many should probably go be rocket scientists, some, something super nerdy that we need someone to design the thing to take us to Mars. They're not going to be the youth pastor at the Church of 500. They're not going to lead their peers to change the hearts and minds of high school kids. But I bet they could sit in a cubicle and design us a rocket. <laughs> It's hard when they're sophomores. Is someone going to look at them and say, we love you, but this is not for you. So right. tell your mom and dad to take the money and go elsewhere. It's tough, man. And, I, and I, they should do that. They should do that. Because if John Deere, my example, my example out in Nebraska is always, if John Deere uh, mission is to feed the world through, I don't know what their mission is, but let's pretend their mission is to feed the world through building tractors and combines. But for every tractor, they produced nine swing sets. Now, I love swing sets. I love the park. But the swing sets would just sit on the back lot. Nobody's buying a swing set from John Deere. And nine swing sets in one tractor. And nine swing sets in one tractor. That would be a ridiculous they, they definitely would go out of business. And our mission is to create church leaders or to, you know, help people get into ministry. But we're not, we can't, it's, it's a tough transaction in these schools. That, that is like the, it's like I consulted around that world and I jumped into that world for years and still, I still help every time I can help. Right. Any college that calls, we hop on a plane, we'll get in the room. I, especially if they're freshmen or sophomores, I love to get in front of those students 
Um, so how, how and why and how is all that going to get fixed? I don't know, man. The PhDs and the super wealthy are going to have to fix that. I do believe higher ed at some level is here forever. I mean, there's amazing Christian universities out there. Then there are amazing seminaries. Much like churches, to your point, the small ones, small rural they're going to struggle and they better merge if they want to keep the doors open. And, and I've seen that up, I've seen that up close and it's quite painful. It's quite right. painful if you've only invested three or four years working hard, let alone, you know, 50 years and your parents farm and a big, you know, these people that have really made these schools happen. I don't know. I know how to help the one or two that's coming out of there. I, I would confidently say to anyone, I can help that student get a, you know, the kingdom can get a decade or two back out of that education if they'll walk this path. If they're not careful, they're going to go to the first church of some town and they're either going to get fired or they're going to quit in 18 months. Right. Harvard Business Review had an article, the number one, the most popular time to get fired or quit your job in the business world is at the first year anniversary. The wow. second most popular time is in the first 90 days. Wow. Those are super smart business people. We think we're over here in the church and we're not as smart. The same thing happens in the church and it's gone on for decades. And the last, you know, the last five preachers or youth pastors that went to that church, uh, we all have those friends and we all have those um, tragic stories of the people that went and made it 18 months and they barely like Jesus let alone the church, so, you know, and it is, I'm not, I mean, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm being, I'm being funny, but it's not, I mean, and I, if there's a, if there's a leadership pipeline issue, it is the huge gaping leak in the pipe coming out of these colleges and seminaries and the disillusion and taking the wrong first steps. So if, if leadership pathway can do anything, it's to help them take the very best first steps that they can take so that honestly what what the church really needs 29 to 34 year olds with seven to ten years experience doing this who can go to that next level at that point and man that's that's what we're all after that's the purple unicorn and there aren't many of those we have to grow them we have to get more intentional you know my youth pastor in eighth grade bruce mcleod looked me in the eye called ministry out of me and I rode home from Cincinnati, staring at the back of his head on the death trap church bus in the 70s <laughs> before we had regulations. And I was looking at the back of his head, and I thought, I want to be like that guy. And then Jim Bergen was a youth pastor in the town that let me play in the, in the youth band. And then Rick Murray was the first music minister I ever saw actually lead worship on a Sunday night at my home church, Southland Christian. I walked in, the house lights dimmed. A, uh, an overhead projector came on, as I recall, keystoned up the wall, and the drummer was on the platform. He wasn't in the orchestra pit anymore, which, and, you know, he started leading worship, and I got a lump in my throat, and I thought, I want to do that with my life, and he let, right. me, he let me participate, and then from there, it was Mike Bro who I went to be his intern, and then it was Saul and Andy and Bart and Greg and Glenn Schneiders and these people. And I think I was intuitive enough and hustled enough to go make, up, make some of that happen. They definitely were pouring into me, but I was hustling after it. We have to have a more intentional position, I think. We can't just allow 
the few that really want to do it to get there. There's, there, there's a, a, a percentage of that that's going to go on, but we have to be a little more intentional on providing the path for this generation. And, I, um, well, I, I, before we run out of time, a couple of things I want to hit. One is uh, I agree with everything you're saying, but at the same time, uh, my dad had a phrase when I was a boy that no matter what would happen, he says, the world does not owe you a living. Um, and then I had another mentor in my life early on as an adult that says, you're responsible for your own education. And so there is a part of that when we teach, we teach you need to be hungry. You need to you know, go out and scavenge and hunt and yeah. uh, fi find people that you can learn from, find somebody who's doing what you want to do. And what you're able to do with Leadership Pathways, put in a much more intentional plan because not, all, not everyone has Phil Link's personality or Dave Miller's personality. There's, there's different personalities, but they can all lead and they can all do something. So I, mm -hmm. I, I get what you're saying. But before I run out of time, one thing I wanted to hit on was that you mentioned early on that some of the, your folks are second career folks or they don't fall into the, the 22 to 25 year old window. It's a little different. Are you seeing more of that uh, or not? Or, is that a, a you know, 5% of, of who you're seeing is, is outside of that, that early 20s uh, or folks that maybe went down one path and now they're 29, 30 and they're saying, hey, I'm gonna go try the ministry path. I think in other, uh, you know, outside of leadership pathway, I see more of that. Okay. In, in our lane uh, of the 40 or 50 that are out there, I bet there's two or three. Okay. There's an elementary school teacher. There was a, a guy who had spent a decade in flight school and flying planes and literally said, I, I just, I, I needed a, a path to get there. Like, it, like the classic story is my grandmother told me in eighth grade that I was going to be a preacher and I ran from it for 15 years and I right. come full circle. And they're, they're not going to take the traditional seminary, move to, move, move to Chicago and get an MDiv path. They do need to be a lifetime learner. We are always on these residents about you need to be taken online, find the cheapest, best, local, some of it's free even. You need to be continually learning. It, I do think this generation, um, not that we could fake it in the 90s, but Billy Graham could still fill arenas, right? He could hold right. a up and most of America would at least respect it and they would put him on ABC right right and today if you're going to be a youth pastor you really need to understand your theology and your doctrine and these things and and uh, in a culture that's post what we grew up in so definitely they got to be a lifetime learner are they going to take those traditional paths to get there I don't think so Dave Miller is my guest Dave is a friend Dave's got a uh an amazing ministry background, but for the last few years, he's been pouring his life into leadership pathway. And that's what we've been talking about for the last 30 or 40 minutes. Before we get off here, Dave, if someone wants to learn more about leadership pathway, how, where do they go? What's your website? This, where do they go? Yeah, I would just go to leadershippathway.org. There's a blog there. There's the contact button and, uh, you can click on and shoot us an email and we can talk. And, um, that'd be the, quickest and easiest way you are a good man thank you very much next yeah, time thanks for the time next time we're in the same zip code you have to buy me dinner or something yeah it's probably my turn <laughs> I'll probably all, right. That. All, all right all right good see you bye-bye
Thanks for listening to another episode of The Giving Leader. I'm Phil Ling, the host, also the founder of The Giving Church. If you get a chance, go to thegivingchurch.com. It's uh, the website about our consulting group, but the reason I'm driving you there is because we have a book that you can download for free that I really think is interesting, has been downloaded by thousands of folks. So that's at thegivingchurch.com. This is The Giving Leader. I'm Phil Ling. Thanks for listening.